Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy. I am fresh off of a trip to New Orleans. I was there for a wedding over the weekend, and while my real-world New Orleans references were likely lost on many of the attendees, I thought if anybody would understand this iconic song from the king of R&B himself, David from the real-world New Orleans, coming out of nowhere late in the season, kind of a jerk to everybody up until that point, positioned himself as a real player, out of nowhere he starts scatting. He starts scooby-dooby-dooby-dooby, and this is in the year 2000, which is in my memory's prime. And I remember him changing the course of music forever. Literally, I have never forgotten this song. And I don't know why. I think he maybe scattered it on, like, their job was like a, a cable access TV show. And I think he maybe scattered it on TV and really pissed everyone off. And then he did it in his talking head. And at the time, it was, like, so funny that Chappelle, like, remixed it, if you recall. Um and I mean, I was like 13. I didn't really know what was going on, but I knew that the, it, this was a moment and it was so freaking funny. And I loved the season of The Real World. It had Julie, who was Mormon. She was attending BYU. And if you and I have garnered anything about uh, the Mormon faith, it's that the real world home is truly every, it is like, you know, put garlic in your face, hold a cross up to you, like evil, don't go there. But for some reason she was there. I kind of wonder if the Mormon church was like, yeah, go tell everybody what we're all about. Go to that topless bar on Bourbon Street and while everyone's trying to get beads, you tell them about Joseph Smith. Don't think it worked, but I remember her. She was a doll. There was Kelly, this really cute blonde girl. There was Matt. He was openly gay. They had to blur out his partner's face. And, and, and we didn't realize at the time it's because he was openly gay and don't ask, don't tell was very much a thing. These things you think about in retrospect are pretty wild. Um, but anyway, you know, David is an icon and I wanted to honor him given I just got back from New Orleans and I thought you'd appreciate little blast from the past uh, with this lovely, creative take on luck, be a lady tonight. But anyways, guys, welcome back. Thanks for being here. You know, I I feel like my voice is a little in and out. I had a great time. I went too hard Friday, then, you know, therefore, you know, was touch and go on Saturday. It was a real, it was, it was educational for me because, you know, normally I feel like I can blame you know, me being kind of like a meh bridesmaid on like, if I don't like the dress or something, because I feel like, you know, everyone's like, you can wear it again, but like you never wear it again. I'm I'm in a couple weddings this fall. The one I was at last weekend was awesome because we could wear what we wanted within a certain color palette, which kind of yielded a paralysis of choice that I maybe wasn't ready for. <laughs> I'm in one in a couple weeks, but I like actually like the dress. It's more of like an empire waist. Than the typical bridesmaid's waist, which is the reason I, I usually don't like them when I'm wearing them and will never wear them again. Because, like, you know how, like, the official sponsor of, of a bridesmaid's dress is typically this, like, inevitable waistline that, like, with zero give that falls right, like, not at your natural waist, but kind of cuts you right above the love handle, creating this almost, like, crescent roll, like, pop out of one's hips in an exaggerated format that... They don't usually exhibit in real life because you choose to wear things that, I don't know, fit and, and, and flatter 
So what kind of, you know, once started as a potential elevation of, of, of a Je- Jessica McClintock chiffon, you know, good, not great, has plummeted into the stratosphere of a, of a late Victorian uh, corseted number with a hoop skirt, kind of around that era when hips and butts were hugely exaggerated by garments because men picked women based on their child-rearing hips. These are not the crescent rolls I want. These are not the pigs in a blanket that I'm here for. And I just like when a bridesmaid's dress is not designed for people with length, lengthy torsos and like tiny waists. It just, it makes the, it just, I don't know. Anyways, I, I, I need to not go on and on about bridesmaid's dresses. Because again, I've been very lucky this year. Um, you know, my back catalog of bridesmaid's dresses is like slightly flying off the love handles, but so far so good this year. Now, and being able to pick my own dress, I think I took too much liberty um, in what I was doing with my time and how I was eating. And like, it's weird. Like on a normal day, I, I can look pretty if I need to. I'll, I can eat a normal amount, sleep a normal amount, you know, have energy, not be too tired, not be like bloated beyond measure. But like all this, if I need to be like presentable and if I want to look really nice for an event and if I have to like be on all of a sudden, I'm like a gremlin who like can't function. I don't look good. I don't know if it's the halogen lighting of the hotel. I don't know if it's like new city worse me. I don't know if it's a off sleep schedule, but like I feel like every time I'm in like a special event or function or wedding, I just am like the worst version of myself when I want to be the best. And I think like with this wedding too, I was, you know, so happy to see my childhood friends on Friday. I put on a sequin blazer. We went to the rehearsal. It was a delight. I gave a toast. You know, you got to like knock a couple back to be comfortable. And also I'll like have a freaking emotional meltdown. And weirdly, wine helps me with that. Um, and then, you know, we stayed out till three. I went to a karaoke bar. I had to Venmo the DJ $40 to knock everyone else out of line and put my myself first because my best friend from my neighborhood, when I was like single digits growing up, used to dance and do choreography and sing Shania Twain. And I'll be damned if I wasn't going to sing with her on a stage that night. And we 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 fell right back into our choreography. It was like honestly worth every minute. Do I normally stay out till three? Eh, no. Uh, did I have to wake up at like eight? Yeah. And you know, spoiler alert: if you stay out till three and you wake up at eight and you feel chipper, it's not because you're you're avoiding the hangover. It's because it hasn't hit you yet. So it definitely hit me like later on. And um, I wasn't the only one. A lot of us were struggling on on Saturday, but. I, I, again, I don't take back a minute of it. The thing is, in, in being able to choose my own ensemble, I pulled the face, Facebook group about it. God bless. You know, you, you guide me in so many ways, professionally and personally. Um, I like, I do this thing where I try on clothes at like in, in the morning when I have um, like almost phantom abs. You know, when you wake up and you're like weirdly thin and like you, you, you probably have like an empty stomach. I don't know what the effect is, but like for a solid hour, you feel like so svelte and so tiny. And like in that hour when I was a kid, I like used to go to the pool. And by a kid, I mean a 16-year-old that was like trotting around in my uh, string bikini from Exhilaration by Target. But uh, when now I like will typically like, oh my God, I'm going to go shopping or like try on stuff. I try on these dresses that are like pretty form-fitting around the waist. And in this hour with the phantom abs, I kind of like forget constantly like, at the time, I, things kind of hang on you a bit, and they're, like, a little bit looser. And in my head, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I'm so tiny. I'm, like, frail. I'm wafy. Like, people are going to worry about me. I don't want to walk down the aisle and have people be like, is she okay? Like, eat a burger. And I just to get, like, really overconfident about, like, the fit and forgetting that, like, my body completely changes as I eat and with what I eat. And I know I'm sure everyone's like this. 
And it's not a commentary on weight or how I look or like I'm down and out or self-esteem issues, whatever. But it's just that like literally things fit differently depending on what time of day and what what you've eaten. And um, I don't know. I think I just tried these on when I was like having a very empty stomached moment. And uh, it's kind of funny. Like, so then when I wake up, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to worry about it. I've, you know, probably have like bagels in a few minutes on on Saturday. So I didn't really eat anything. And I think that my struggle as a bridesmaid, like bridesmaids are always so hungry. You know, either you're so full you can't zip your dress or you like don't eat for eight hours and you're like peering around the curtain at the reception waiting to be announced, hoping some, you know, any Tom, Dick or Larry brings you a singular slider because you know that all the appetizer hors d'oeuvre, like past apps are going to be gone before you, you know, ultimately get introduced. And I like for I saw this coming and I was like, I'm not doing the thing where I don't eat and I'm not doing the thing where I eat like a full schmear. When you have a pretty snug dress and a tight zip, it's just not my best bet to eat a, like a, a full carb, a mega carb and dairy and just to like roll the dice. But the other piece of that too is like, by the time I ever get to a bridesmaids function, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not late, but like I usually do my own hair and makeup. Like, honestly, that's what I care about. Like, you can be the, a crazy bride, but please let me do my own hair and makeup. I, you know, I feel like they get better as years pass, but I just have this theory that like every single like bridal makeup artist went to some like bridesmaid makeup school that's officially sponsored by like cream white eyeshadows, a criminal inability to blend and like shitty strip lashes. And they do this like assembly line of the exact same early 2000s smoky eye that's very has like a sheen to it. You know what I mean? And it's like the, the way they do a gradient is just like white to dark gray no in between maybe some purple for if people are feeling crazy and like i've i'm not an expert but i did my own wedding makeup so i spent hours watching videos after videos going to sephora like really trying to learn technique and the techniques i learned look nothing like what i watch people do to bridesmaids on wedding days typically the bride looks good because like the head honcho is doing it they bring like two people with them to like you know crank out the faces and i just can't get over like, typically, the whole point of makeup is to, like, accentuate your own features, to, like, elevate your look. But I really feel like sometimes these makeup artists do the exact same face on everybody. And if it works, great. But for others, I don't know. It's it's very corpse-like. It's a little gray sometimes, and it's very matte. And I feel like there's either, like, bronzer used for contour spots, and there's, like, a really orange chin line, a lack of matching of the neck and face, and or just, like, not really carving out of an individual's features. It's like the airbrush look is just to, like, mattify, wash out your face and, like, not a lot else is done. And I don't really know why the go-to is always like a purpley tone. And I'd argue many blue-eyed people look much better with it with a coppery, golder, more delicate tone. And I have a, I'm not being pretentious. I just have like a lot of issues with what I see like assembly line style makeup artists do. And maybe they've found one look that works best on everybody and they've had too many complaints. I'm sure they're justified. Anyway, I do. I feel like, you know, a lot of people will go to their like hometown hairdresser or like go to the same person for years and not trust somebody even though they've mid- moved to a city that probably has great talent. But they don't realize there is not one way you cut a hair that works for the cut hair that works for the rest of time. There's not one way you do a smoky eye that works for the rest of time. A lot of professionals are at the peak of their game in a certain era, but don't invest in ongoing education for themselves or for their employees, and they're stuck doing the same thing. There are ways makeup and makeup application evolve with formulas and tools, as we all know from Shane Dawson and Jeffrey Starr's innovative piece on you know the makeup industry. We're watching them build a palette in real time. I am fascinated. All I want is a palette. I have no reason to have one, nor will I ever. But like, I love the creativity that goes behind it. 
And I, I cannot even believe the unit projections they are thinking. They're, they, they are making over a million pallets with an, an expected full sellout. I, I think they're probably, what, like 40, 50 bucks each? I mean, we're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars of which Shane allegedly could get like $15 million up for his cut of it, even though it's produced or manufactured by Jeffree Star Cosmetics and sold through his site. Guess the Morphe deal didn't work out. I just think like it's important to um, understand the people that you trust. Are they continuing to educate themselves on the most modern way to do things? And if not, you know, take a risk, take a chance, make a change, break away. Because there, there, there might be somebody out there who is not stuck in their ways. And you see this in corporate America and you see this in creativity and artistry. Anyway, I could, I could go. I need to, you know, quit while I'm ahead. But um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Well, okay. So I love when people let me do my own hair and makeup. I think it's very nice. I think unless you, you're dealing with the true, like, I don't even know why you would be scared to let one of your bridesmaids do their hair and makeup. The pictures aren't going to be like the framers anyway. That's going to be in your album. I don't mean to like be negative. It's just like you, you're going to want pictures of you and your spouse around the house or you and your families. Bridal party looks great in real time. But honestly, if you think that one person's makeup is going to like make or break your day, you've got bigger fish to fry. And like, who's marrying you? I mean, it's just like not a big deal. Uh, like, I, I think, you know, it's one thing. I think it's so cool to give people the choice to have hair and makeup. But when you mandate it and they pay for it, that's terrible. You're already asking a lot of them. So that's just, you know, my PSA. I think if it's there and it's available and people want to pay, awesome. And, you know, if not, I'm sure they'll look beautiful anyway, because if your friend is like a glaring issue, like of the way they do their makeup or, you know what I mean? Like something that would have the the potential to ruin a picture that like 20 people are in. I would uh, hope you're close enough to address it far before your wedding. And quite literally at the end of the day, at the end of your wedding day, that's not at all what you're going to be thinking about. Um, But anyway, I appreciate when people let me do my own. So I usually arrive a little later because like the call times are usually at like, you know, 6 a.m. And if, you know, when you get there, by the time you get there, the food is usually like hugely picked over. And, uh, you know, that which means like all that's left is a sesame seed bagel. And then, you know, if you're hungover and wanting some substance or if that's all that's available and you go for the full schmear, it's not just any full schmear. It's the freaking strawberry schmear that is extra sugar and even worse. But you're like taking what you can get. And before long, you're like hands are covered in what looks like pink frosting cream cheese. You've turned into Jessica Simpson's, you know, dessert beauty line of edible cosmetics in the photo shoot where she like threw up because she had to eat so much pink frosting. <laughs> I thought about that in a while. Um, except I was thinking about when we were t- t- doing like purity talk. There's she has a song called Sweetest Sin and she's talking about making love to her husband. And she's like, why does it feel so good to be so bad? And it's like talking about the sin. And I'm like, what? You have issues. And like her dad is case in point. Like forcing her to be a virgin and to marry Nick Lachey to have sex with him, a person who had already had sex before. And when she was like 20, I mean, truly, like, ugh, rewatching Newlyweds is a true gift. Um, and also, I think The Sweetest Sin was her album that kind of bombed, like Sweet Kisses. But With You is a fantastic song that, like, never gets enough credit, never gets enough airplay. Maybe I'll end the episode with that. Because it's just like, it's so sweet and cute. And like, you know, turns out with him, she could not let her hair down. She could not say anything crazy. He, you know, dropped her right before she hit the ground. What a good song. Anyway, long story short, I didn't eat, um, which worked because I felt like I had tried on my dress when I uh, was feeling like have my phantom abs. Uh, When I get to the party, like the getting ready function, there's a salad with carrots. I don't disclose my allergies because I'm not going to rain on everybody's parade. Uh, but they they only had salad and it had carrots in it. And I was like, allergic reaction or not eating. And, um, you know, 
I, I like panic. I start to like feel a little iffy. I put on my dress and it's like a long sleeve lace number with no give. It's very like straight jacket vibes, though I will say I loved it because I feel like the biggest hang up I have about being a bridesmaid is like the skinny arm. There's so many like weird pics from the side and you're like constantly at a 45 degree angle and it's just like arm, 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 arm. And like, you know, I have keratosis polaris. I have very red bumpy arms. I'm not comfortable. I gotta say, I felt free having my arms closed, enclosed rather, for a wedding. It was kind of delightful. But like right before I started to panic because like there's being hungry and then there's being hungry in a church. You know what I mean? A, 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 a church service for a hungry person is this never ending time warp where you are just following the program. Like it's a, the, the best page turner you've ever seen waiting like, oh my God, are we past like the liturgy? Are we past this blessing? Oh my gosh, we're not. Oh, there's four more pages of stuff we got to get through. Oh my gosh, these are a lot of commands. And you start to like panic. And then by the time you go up for communion and you get the host, I like kind of want to ask for two, but like, I think that's rude. And anyways, I panic like before the ceremony, we're taking pictures, we're, like we're relieved of our duties for a moment. I like r- run across the street with my friend and go get a full everything bagel with schmear um, and eat it. And then like literally during the ceremony, I could, I was like waddling. I like, there was no give in my dress, even though it's one I picked out, but it was like kind of more uh, shapely. And like, I just, I was just laughing while I was in the ceremony. Obviously I was like in the moment and present and like I said, my friend was getting married. It was like a full church service though. So I had a few moments to zone out and I was just like, why am I, why can't I function? Why am I starving and hungover or so full I can barely move? Whenever there's these weekends where there's like drinking and like weird sleep schedules, like I really become like a shell of a person who doesn't know how to function. And it's kind of funny because like normally I'm great. Like I really understand my body and what to do and where to be and how to eat and So anyways, I just like had the two worlds I was not trying to get into, which was famished hunger and so hungry. So like full, I couldn't zip my dress all because of the schmear. I just think being a bridesmaid is a funny thing. And every time I am one, I just somehow never get it right. And I never look the way I want to. And even though I was determined to make it work this time, I still couldn't do it. So, you know, what can you do, guys? I just have a lot of thoughts about being a bridesmaid. I don't know if I've ever expressed them. It's less about them and more of a function of like my body just not lending itself to the typical bridesmaid silhouette. It's like the two parts of my body I would never highlight is to like cinch my non-banana waist and to show off my arms. Like I, the, the, it's kind of like how I felt about shopping for wedding dresses. I'm like, I never wear white. I never wear lace. I never wear backless things that I can't wear a bra with. All the modern styles are very like thin and wafy and deep V-E and like um, illusion backs and fronts and stuff. And they're truly made for flat chested people. And I, I looked like, I just I just felt it just didn't look good in them. Like it was either like Renaissance Fair pressed boobs or like if um Sale, you know, did a collab with Wet Seal. I earlier I said um my uh banana waist. I don't I don't know if I explain that. I can never figure out my body type in like a magazine quiz that's like, which two-piece is best for your body? And then they show like 500 body types, and I'm like, I don't think I'm any of those. We decided I'm a um, busty banana and, you know, I have bad posture. I am like, I am slender theoretically, but I'm pretty soft up close. And when you like cinch me, um, that becomes evident. (laughs) And uh, I, you know, that's just kind of like how I would describe my body type. It's whatever. And I just don't have a waist. And so it's like kind of straight. And um, I'm not complaining again, like, let's give people the time and space to like self-deprecate. I'm not saying you should feel bad about yourself, but like, I'm saying how, how things make me feel. I just don't want people to be like, girl, don't talk bad about yourself. You're perfect. Like, I know I'm great. It's just, just like, you know, God gave me this body. And then everybody in church and in youth group and at Bible camp told me I had to conceal this body. 
you know, because it was up to me to control men's behavior, which is an outstanding tra- transition to my next topic, kind of. Not my next topic, but um, my request for you guys to, um, if you if you if you so feel uh, compelled, convicted to send me some of your experiences. Uh, read the topic I brought up two weeks ago in the episode. Give me Mormon. It's so many people reach out about a passing thing I said, which I, I, you know, it's it's always very telling to me what people latch on to from an episode. We go through so many topics. But whether it's the sorority stuff or Mormon mommy bloggers, like I'll always notice what people really like want to focus on. And that kind of tells me like it's not, not a conversation they're hearing elsewhere that we should like dive into. And when I was talking about Meg Scala and, you know, the the parading, the celebration of her being a virgin, them singing like a virgin, she's wearing white and has a boa and they're like, you know, grinding on their party bus and they're like, oh, my God, you're about to have sex. And it was kind of like it took me back to this weird glorification where a woman is an object. She's a gift and her purity is the only one thing she can save for her husband. And should you, quote unquote, stumble, should you, you know, have that taken from you, their purity is tied so closely to your self-value in these churches that it leaves you feeling worthless. And that is a whole host of issues as it relates to so many things with with confidence, with education, with safety etc. But beyond any of that, it creates a disturbingly hospitable environment for unreported sexual assault and abuse and um, a culture where communication about it feels just as bad as the act itself. And when the act itself you're taught is is something that once it's taken from you, it's irreversible. And not only that, but it is heralded as being the most the, the most paramount thing to your salvation. It, you're not going to tell anybody. You're going to keep your mouth shut. I even like I had amazing understanding parents that would have like gone to the ends of the earth for me. But I was so uncomfortable with all of these things that I I, I don't think I would have said anything. I would have been too ashamed. I would have thought it was my fault or something like truly I, these things run deep. And it, it's not about not having the right people around you to go to. It's often about how you choose to mold somebody's somebody's subconscious and somebody's moral compass in a way that is kind of a biblical legalism of man's interpretation of the Bible rather than these literal interpretations of what he's trying to say. I I marvel at the ability to speak freely and to joke about those things when I'm like, you know, clutching my pearls. And it's not like I'm soft-spoken. I I like have opinions about everything ever, but like it's kind of a blind spot for me in terms of like, I'm not a vulgar person and I even hate calling sexual stuff vulgar because it's not that it necessarily is, but like I I just I don't know. It's funny. And like, I think that just like, you know, very sex positive um, women now rightfully have a voice. I almost feel like there's this weird void for those of us that are experiencing like residual shame as a result of how we were taught about sex from a young age, whether you're, you know, some even public schools have. I mean, there was like 50 million dollars dumped into abstinence only teaching in the 90s. Um and, you know, every school did this very differently. Mine was like scaretactics.com backslash photos of STDs. And then, you know, the different uh, camps and youth groups and stuff um, at different churches, because I go to my friends, different youth groups and stuff and try them out because like I wanted to hang out with my friends and that's where they were going. They really doubled down on like, you know, your purity, your virtue is all you have. If like if and when somebody takes this from you, you're like, you know chewed up gum like there's all these mat metaphors people would use that are so messed up and you know it's funny because i'm sure my mom's listening to this and a dying that i'm even talking about it but b um she always she was like where whenever i talk about these like camps or religious things she's always like i i had no idea like what they were telling you or like you felt this way and i'm like 
Yeah, because therein lies the issue. You're taught to not only like suppress your feelings about it, but to not communicate about it and to live this like pure life. And and when you are develop such a discomfort with these topics, you just assume they're off limits and that's how everybody feels. And like, I don't know, it's funny. Like, I, I it wasn't anything like that glaring or anything at the time. I think I was kind of awkward and uncomfortable and like a late bloomer anyway. But at the when I've gotten older, I've thought a lot more about it. And I, you kind of think about like how, what aspects of the way I am are a result of, 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 you know, my nature and what's a result of my nurture and how when you break up nurture, it's a different series of influences from parental to friends, platonic to romantic to your church to, you know, whatever kind of implements its value system, you know, into your life, whether by force or by osmosis. And the church is certainly by force. And it certainly was one that scared me the most next to my parents. My parents didn't scare me like from them. They just scared me into like not getting good grades and like, you know, having direction in life. And they just always, all my parents cared about was like being polite, getting good grades, having nice friends, not being too disruptive. Like they're pretty straight shooters. Like they're the nicest people ever. And they were so, so good to me and so, so supportive. And I, I feel badly even being like this was damaging because I don't think they even knew like what people were saying at these camps. But honestly, at the time, it wouldn't have even probably sounded that crazy because that's just like culturally what was going on. Again, like I don't think it was sinister. I think it was just kind of the sign of the times. And I think it's important now that we're out of those times. And even the guy that did, that started those times is denouncing it. What's his name? Joshua Harris. Um, the guy that like he was 21 when he wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It started like what we would now call a viral movement of true love weights of the purity movement. These people were like talking to the White House about abstinence teachings, like this infiltrated culture. And this is why I think it's kind of pop culture adjacent is because these rings and stuff were like so big. And um, it almost became cool to like talk about abstinence. It became like cool to have like a relationship where like you didn't touch. And like, it was just, it's so interesting how this took over. And like, I begged to go to these camps, like, don't get it twisted. Like, I didn't really like think about it at the time. And I think that's my whole point is like, you know, the the only, I, you know, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, the only way to like process wh- whether it's, you know, pain or uh, just kind of like something that didn't sit well with you or something that you feel like has influenced your life in a negative way the only way to process it is to work through it, not to look past it. Until I was a lot older, I didn't think about, um, you know, how your your personality, your character, your value system is is the result of so many different sources. And and when you have when you can stand your ground more and you start to look more critically at things, you realize um, how harmful a lot of like more oppressive ideologies are, and that, you know, when. The only thing that like oppressive uh, movements and leadership can do is to make you question yourself, to make you distrust yourself, to make you uh, not listen to your own mind and heart that are that are pointing a very specific way, but convincing you otherwise that their direction is true north. And until you're more self-actualized, more confident, you don't learn to trust your own instincts, your own voices, your own values. Um, as strongly as other people's input. Anyways, I this I don't need to get into this now. I'm not trying to like tease an episode that won't happen. I just I want to collect some of your input, pro, anti, you know, current, former, whatever. Like I really enjoy reading your feedback, even if I don't read it on the episode. It influences how I talk about it. It's my own form of data collection. I'm obsessed with market research. 
Um, and it's not in vain. It honestly is just like for me to learn. And I think sometimes writing and articulating your own story, it's like not necessarily a wasted exercise of time, but I'm honored that anybody would ever share with me. My God, um, I'm trying to get my friend to do the episode with me because she went to a lot of these camps like and she has crazy stories like my stuff is mild compared to hers uh and i just you know i think it would be an interesting discussion so if i can get her at some point that's when we'll do it if not we'll all just go at it solo um sometimes i get a little panicky when i do these episodes alone that are like about something specific because i don't want like to present such a one-dimensional argument um, but you know, well, we'll see what we can get. This isn't everybody's cup of tea. I'll just say <laughs> not, not every friend is clawing at the opportunity to talk about this topic. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, I think I'm trying to, as this podcast goes further and as I have people in the Facebook group and as people reach out with what sticks out to them about episodes, I'm trying to point my arrow to where I, I, I simply cannot stop talking and not toward the things that I feel like I should talk about. Theoretically, this is a pop culture podcast. Well, I, you know, the, the, this conversation is a little bit, you know, ancillary. Um, I do think it's kind of relative to the 90s, 2000s zeitgeist. I do think it's an important issue to 20, 30, 40 somethings that listen to this podcast that maybe experienced it. Um, and as I've always said, I want to talk about the things that I feel like aren't being well represented, you know, in other newsrooms and other podcasts and other forums, but that people want to be talking about. And I feel like um, this is one of those things. So I promise I won't talk about it all the time. I was just going to make a call to action too. If you want to email me at podcast at be there in five.com, please do. It'll be anonymous. You can also say like, don't share this, but you just want me to understand it. Um, and yeah, when great pop culture things happen, I'll be the first to discuss them. I can't feign interest in something like Justin and Selena and her new song. Like I just, I don't care. I, I do. I am interested in uh, Shane Dawson and Jeffrey's documentary that I've already talked about that I encourage you to watch because I think it's a really fascinating business case study but I don't really have a ton of color commentary to add that's episode worthy so you know just trying to go uh where the wind blows and where your interest lies and um as always continue to email me or post in the Facebook group and tell me what you want to talk about and I'm I'm down uh, but anyways one of the things I wanted to talk about this week total 180 is about a little bit of beef I have with nobody other than myself. I, nay, I have it with all of you who have, who have spoken ill of my favorite establishment. And I don't have just beef, I have roast beef. Okay, now I'm coming at you from the beyond. I have to say, normally I don't, I'm always looking for like good uh, places that intervals to kind of uh, talk about our sponsors. But then I, when I hear jokes like that, I'm like, seriously? It's, it, it, maybe it was better when I didn't listen back to these. I'm like so proud of myself. I'm like, roast beef. Anyway, um, I, I wanted to take you away for a moment to uh, talk about Away, our sponsor of this week's episode. See what I did there? Truly, I can't be stopped. <laughs> so Away, they, they create products designed to kind of change how we travel. They're, it's a more thoughtful luggage for modern travel. And they kind of sought out to create the perfect suitcase that has features that correct for some of the issues we often see when traveling to make the process more seamless. And I feel like luggage is kind of like a stale category that for a long time has been more of the same. And uh, okay, I was I was so surprised um, upon using this product, not because I didn't think it would be great, but because I have so much stuff I that I stuff into like a cloth suitcase, like to the brim expander and everything. And I've never even considered using like a hard shell or a more sleek design. But I got this right before I went to New Orleans. I was actually already packed and had to unpack and repack. But I was so curious because I have this huge ancient TJ Maxx suitcase that is not TSA compliant that I can but I use it because I can fit so much stuff in it I'm not gonna lie when I got it and I had already packed 
I was like, I told my husband, I was like, this is, there's no way I'm going to fit my stuff into here. It's so much smaller. But it wasn't smaller. It's just, it's regulation size. Like I said, and my other one was definitely not. But I've been having to check my bag constantly lately because it's never making the cut. So not only am I now compliant with TSA standards, which I probably should have done a long time ago, um, it, it, so something that they did with the structure of how it's built in the compression net makes it fit more stuff than my bigger suitcase somehow, yet is much more lightweight and sleek. And uh, honestly, I was just like, I really like it. I, I honestly just genuinely like it. I've noticed a lot of people have these. And I also didn't ever understand why people at like the counter would ask me if my suitcase had a battery I needed to take out. But now I get it. It's because these suitcases have full-on um, batteries you can charge and then charge your devices on it. And like, we've all been stuck at an airport or about to board a plane and we're like, crap, I forgot to charge my phone. There's nothing worse than being stuck on a flight without a device to play with because God forbid I get lost in my thoughts. Um, but this solves for that too. And I don't know, there's just so many things I like about it. Not only like the, the shape and the lightweight nature and the style of it, the charger, the 360 wheels that spin. If I changed my mind, there's a hundred day trial. You can take it out on the road, use it. If it's not for you, you can return it. What else? I mean, there's so much stuff it has. It, it is a lock. I've never had a suitcase with a lock. But recently, one of my friends is coming back from a bridal shower and, and checked all of her gifts, all stolen. Like, what? I, 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 don't, I didn't even know people did that. So, you know, from here on out, I am so excited to have the added security. And there's two sizes. I got the one called the bigger carry-on. There's also a carry-on, which is a little more lightweight. Everybody has different travel styles. So they have the two different sizes. They have a ton of different colors and just different customization options. Um, if you want to try yourself, go to awaytravel.com slash be there in five, how the show is spelled, F-I-V-E, not the number five. That's awaytravel.com slash be there in five and use promo code be there in five for $20 off your suitcase. And there's free shipping within the contiguous U.S. and uh, Europe and Australia. So again, visit awaytravel.com slash be there in five. Use promo code be there in five for $20 off a suitcase. And thanks to Away for sponsoring this episode. I have like, you know, four more weddings to attend before the end of the year and I'm flying to all of them. So consider me very excited to have a better travel solution that I can legitimately lift over my head. Unlike my previous TJ Maxx trunk of a suitcase that was no longer cutting it. Thanks, guys. Back to the show. The other thing that happened before I went to New Orleans was this thing on Instagram. If you follow me there, you may have noticed there was a little situation involving Arby's, which I'm going to go into later and kind of explain some of the backstory. But, but that basically resulted in this segment I did on my Instagram stories where I got hundreds of responses related to um, what, like how I met your mother referred to them as intellectual blind spots. I hear there's also a really good NPR, um, This American Life podcast episode about this, where there's things you like misunderstood your whole life or were just straight up incorrect about them your whole life. And nobody corrected you or you were never faced with a consensus of an alternate opinion of something that like was truth in your head. And for me, I grew up near a disproportionately fancy Arby's and I thought all Arby's were like this. And I'll explain that later. But it kind of um, when when I asked the listeners, like, what are some of your blind spots? They were so, so funny. And I find through this podcast, as I'm researching things, I have like a lot of broader, bigger blind spots of like things that go on that I'll think are weird and they're they're not. And one of the things that I've learned recently that you guys probably already know about, but there's like a reason or like a lifestyle beyond just being an influencer blogger that explains the foliage, F-A-U-X, foliage photos I've posted on Instagram that keep popping up on my Discover pages that kind of depict these cheesy fall scenes that are sort of selling a false bill of of autumnal goods 
in the aggressively colorful foliage when most places leaves haven't turned yet with pumpkins inside and outside on your bed with like open apples like the full core open apples unoxidized just like stickiness on like a chunky knit blanket you're wearing a a high knee sock you have a hot cocoa maybe an artful latte a book open with like a baby's breath bookmark and you know old timey glasses sitting atop of the book and in addition to having an open book maybe stacked on another book that's blocked by baby's breath you're also watching a tv screen that's maybe not real that's surrounded by a string of twinkle lights that is focused on the same scene from hocus pocus harry potter or the nightmare before christmas all the while you photoshopped in some like rogue tv like movie theater popcorn bucket you have lots of like autumnal garland maybe a few rogue dead leaves lying around you have like cinnamon sticks and like herbs and like tea bags like just sitting somewhere else even though you're not drinking tea and it's like this uh this kind of flat lay aerial or kind of direct view of all of the prerequisites to alleged coziness that one on instagram seems to trying to commodify and i've been like what the hell is this like why are people doing this it's to me it's this like funny version of Uh, false advertising akin to photoshopping one's body when you photoshop and smooth your body without disclosure you're you know you're selling an unrealistic depiction of what a person's body could actually look like because you yourself don't even look like this thus making everybody on the receiving end feel inadequate because they're not realizing kind of the tricks that go into it at times similarly for those of us that are in pursuit of all things cozy these scenes are really designed to give us seasonal FOMO in that our leaves aren't turned, our weather isn't cold, our our socks, our garbage socks only go up to our ankles. I must be some sort of cozy foe because I didn't think that, you know, my TV, which already emits a great deal of aggressive light, I didn't think to put extra lights around my TV. I, whatever I'm doing today, whether it's work, whether I'm in a fight with somebody, whether I'm having a tough day, whether I'm just sitting in my plain old bed with my plain old dumb comforter without ceramic pumpkins surrounding me, it, I'm whatever I'm doing is just not seasonally adequate. It's not cozy enough. I'm not I'm not seizing these short-lived days where the leaves are turned and the weather gets colder and the air smells like fireplaces. Meanwhile, I live in the city. I there like I find cities to be interior cozy externally a real bummer. Honestly, I don't even think the leaves outside my apartment change before they just like fall because it's gross. And as I always say, like when I'm walking the dog, it's disgusting. And we were playing hopscotch between like other dog pee, uh, syringes, broken glass. There's tampons that I'm regularly dodging underneath a nice tree that otherwise I would love to sit under. Uh, The other day he stepped on a floppy disk. I'm like, I don't know which is worse. You littering or you being 20 years behind in technology? I, I, I don't I don't even know where I think I must live downwind of some trash place trash place i don't know um but like it's it's and the the thing is like i live in a more like industrial area like in a converted loft it's like adjacent to like more grassy neighborhoods but my building specifically like is not um it's not the most hospitable for pets despite having a crap ton of pets here so when we're doing like a quick go outside it's it's like so not charming it's almost hilariously not charming but like you look at kjp the fall lovers instagram his dog is regularly taking jacuzzis or no hot tubs he, the dog like has his own mug of like mold wine and is like sitting in the hot tub against this like log cabin with twinkle lights and foliage aplenty. And I'm just like even jealous of the dog. 
And the worst part is I'm, I'm feeling left out of a thing and incapable of a thing that is actually not attainable. And that's when I start to get mad is when we work towards things that aren't actual depictions of reality. I feel the same way about when influencers travel to places and add clouds to their photos, change colors of the trees, change colors of the water. You know, you can Photoshop yourself, but you do not Photoshop your kids and you do not Photoshop your mother. And by mother, I mean mother nature, because if I spend thousands of dollars to go somewhere, for example, I've heard mixed things about this, but in the peak of winter, Lake Louise, a beautiful glowing blue lake in Banff National Park, apparently is quite frozen over and not always blue. And I've had people sending me photos of people that have gone during this time when they can, they're like from there or they were there at the same time and they can vouch that like the people photoshopped it blue so it would look like the pretty photos. And I'm like, that is so messed up. Like the only person I trust, you know, to not lead me astray is Julia Engel Barrelsheimer because she has the means to travel for the blooms, which is my one of my favorite wealthy blogger things where, you know, most people take like on one vacation every couple of years if they can muster together the funds. But bloggers run out of reasons to vacation so much so that they start to travel for flowers. And can you imagine what would happen to a normal person if you got to the fields of Provence after you pick up, you know, 14 canvas tote bags worth of artisanal honeys, jellies, jams, various bread types, pastries, freestanding raw artichokes just for decoration? Only to find that the, the you know, world famous lavender fields are in fact just overgrown dead sticks and weeds. What would you do? But she never does. And I don't think she photoshops this. I think she actually pays attention to like farmer's almanacs or something. She She's good with the blooms. If you want to follow blooms, follow her. I think a lot of people photoshop the Northern Lights personally. Iceland is now what Thailand was two or three years ago, what Croatia was before Thailand. There are these token, beautiful, exotic places so many people go to that they almost become unexotic to me. I don't say that to be pretentious, but, you know, it's you almost like, I was talking about this with somebody this past weekend at this wedding, how when you see these photos of these gorgeous travel sites, you get a picture in your head. But when you go there, it's so riddled with tourists. It's not even fun. And like, I am a tourist, so it's not like they don't have the right to be there, but rather somehow these photos are captured by influencers that make it more popular, that somehow leave out how incredibly crowded it is. So like whenever you see these gorgeous influencery photos of Dubrovnik, for example, it's like you have this medieval walled city castle all to yourself. When you're actually there, there's like four carnival cruises docked and you can't even move within the town square. And it, it's funny how travel nuances like that exist. Like I'd almost say Positano and stuff is like overrun with tourists. Not that it's not beautiful and worth going to, but I think social media has almost like even made the flocking to these specific locations even worse. And even worse than that, it's a bunch of people on their phones. My husband wants to have an art installation. He calls in the moment where we go to the most beautiful places in the world or museums or whatever and um, stand behind the phones of people, you know, capturing it on their phones instead of experiencing it. Well, I am the least, per the most guilty of not being present. It is freaking weird when you're in the Louvre and like the Mona Lisa is so tiny and you can't even see because people are holding up full iPads against it. And I'm just like, I wish this was more a moment where I was connecting with art and history. But it's it's the perpetual dilemma of anything that is popular, as beautiful, as important, as meaningful. There is a level of, of, of commodification and there is a level of popularity that drives traffic that takes away from the individual's undivided experience that they hope for in their mind, but rarely get, you know, in their real life. And this is kind of a topic for a different day. But Greg and I often laugh at um, 
how how people don't talk about how often travel can be disappointing because it's such a privilege and it's so it's a luxury to, to to vacate you know your your life your job to go somewhere else to go somewhere that is perceived to be you know widely beautiful and enjoyable and but i always think about that snl skit that's like if you're depressed in america you're going to be depressed in italy like people like think that their entire um persona will is going to morph upon going to a place that's more exotic or interesting or whatever and um whenever we go places that are just like so unbearably crowded or uh, so like or you you splurge on a hotel but you can only get the smallest room and it's like so lame and you can't even afford any of the things that you want to enjoy there but you just wanted to stay at the hotel on principle like i don't know i think there's a lot of funny things about travel people don't talk about and i think it's a funny area of influence that is kind of um it's like relative to things that are so important like body image it seems you know fairly trivial but when you think about somebody like saving up for their whole life uh you know to go to paris and it's all they've ever wanted and in their head just like their favorite blogger they think that wherever they're staying is gonna you know be in the likes of the four seasons george sank i don't know if i'm saying that right um but you know they're probably like in a lower key hotel or like an airbnb which has i'd argue even more potential for realistic experience than a high-end hotel in a major city but i think a lot of people get disappointed because they don't have a wrought iron juliet balcony with their you know pan au chocolat breakfast in bed full french press that they in a robe can peer out of while they take a photo and even though it geographically makes no sense somehow at the end of their token parisian boulevard is the arc de triomphe and the other end's the eiffel tower which like looks to be sparkling even though we all know that doesn't happen until sundown it's like they manage these like quintessential things that just like if anytime i go somewhere i never feel like i'm in the heart of everything that city like represents and it's just i don't know it's just always an interesting management of expectations and i don't know like typically i'm not greeted by breakfast in bed because there's an 18 percent service charge on top of the tip and even though i want to spend my money on comforts like this my husband has a hard time seeing the value of it when we do in fact have legs and then i'm like god I just wish you were more like Thomas Barrelsheimer. And he's like, who? And then I try to explain it and it's really confusing. And then we're, things are tense. And then, you know, before we can leave, I'm on like TripAdvisor or like blogs or something trying to find like a cafe for a cup of coffee that ends up being two and a half hours before we even get any coffee because I can't just have any coffee. That's be the cutest damn coffee I've ever seen. And <laughs> I, uh, it's just like, I, I just, have, I would like to be a fly on the wall or to quote a blind spot I heard last week, uh, a floating eyeball. Um, on couples trips where one person has been spending too long looking at aspirational depictions of whatever location they're in. Uh, I mean, like even like Greg and I went to Hawaii last year. It's so far unless you live on the West Coast. Um, and we couldn't go on the water the entire time. There was some like surge and we had like uh, like a manta ray, like night dive that was supposed to be so cool. And then we tried to do something else and like literally we were there for four days, weren't even, like weren't allowed in the water. And we were like, what is the point of this? And it's just like things happen and like, yeah, it's a little bit funny, but also like we're not going to go back anytime soon. And like, yeah, that guess that's Hawaii. And that's also why you have to take people's recommendations with a grain of salt. Because like I've said before, somebody's impression of a city is not how good the actual city is. It's the personal time that they had there. And uh, I don't know, it just it makes, there's so many things there. Again, I keep saying topic for another day than going further into the topic. Anyways, what I was talking about 
is um, the the seasonal photoshopping of coziness and the aspirational uh, setting up, assembling, and producing of scenery that, uh, you know, makes you long for warmth and togetherness. And I just was shocked at how common the same imagery was coming up over and over, the same token things that people think represents fall or winter. And it's almost like a joke that like everyone on the outside can see, but everyone who's doing it like doesn't seem to understand. But what I realized when you click through the profiles and after seeing enough over time, I realized that most of these people are not in the United States. And while like the KJPs of the world, the the fall guy at KJP on Instagram, he's doing this with like kind of, you know, the, the hyper-Americanized New England charming fall of it all. Like he, what he's doing is kind of separate. What I'm talking about is these like super staged photos. You can look in my Instagram highlights under the, it's called foliage, F-A-U-X. Um, I realized they were all European. They were all mostly Western European. It was a lot of uh, Danish people, a lot of German people, a lot of people from Britain, a lot of people from, you know, Scandinavia. And they were these accounts that kept doing the same thing over and over. And even though I've heard this term before, I had no idea that this is actually what it was and that there was like a a something, uh, a title for the thing I was seeing over and over again. And that's this word uh, that you all know. And I hate being the person that's like, hey, have you heard of this thing that was popular in 2016? Or like, that'd be like me coming on here this year and being like, hey, guys, just heard this new artist. You've got to try her real indie, real under the radar. Her name's Lizzo. Like, I don't want to be that person that's so behind. But for some reason, this wasn't on my radar. It is called H-Y-G-G-E. It looks like it's spelled Higgy. And yes, I did look up the Instagram handle at getting Higgy with it. Because I thought, you know, maybe I'll just grab that in the event I want to be posting my full-age photos. It is taken, and also it's pronounced Huga, so jokes on them. And when you read different definitions of this, it brings to life the exact things we've been, like, looking at and laughing at, but also loving and lurking uh, in the past couple months. Because basically, it's it's hard to, like, define because it's more of, like, a feeling or an experience. Um, it's a Scandinavian cultural concept that is kind of uh, the one news source. I think the Guardian called it similar to the obsession with um, like Chinese feng shui or like the French word chic. It's like this um, kind of word that represents the uh, cultural values of a particular geographic area. I guess uh, some say higgy, higgy, huga. I'm gonna try it. <laughs> Honestly, for years I've seen this word and I I kind of thought it meant like. Um, I swear I see it marketed like or in slideshows with like Ikea furniture. And I thought it was more associated with minimalism, but it's actually quite the opposite. Uh, It's largely referenced as a Danish word. The kind of lifestyle cultural value I see is largely described as being Scandinavian. I've seen some indications that the root is actually Finnish. Um, But I guess I'm thinking more Scandinavian countries like the like obviously Norway, Sweden, Denmark, but also kind of the um, the commoditization that's happened of it since 2016. That's really I think been mostly popular in Western Europe and maybe a little bit in the states. But I, you guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but I see it mentioned, but I feel like it there hasn't been like a like a zeitgeist takeover like there was with the time when we were talking about KonMari method and Recondo and like thanking all of our, our items before we threw them out and like talking about sparking joy um and but maybe it hasn't again this is a blind spot and this is why i was talking about it but i'll read different definitions and you'll see exactly what i mean by what, what these uh foliage images all basically being this um 
this is kind of a more intellectual definition, as a, it's a quality of coziness and comfortable conviviality that engenders a feeling of contentment or well-being. It's been practically weaponized in recent years in an effort to sell candles, socks, and blankets. Hugo was never a lifestyle, but certainly marketed as one over here by people willing to cash in on the Scandi zeitgeist. I'm just skipping around to different definitions, mostly from like the New Yorker, the Guardian, NBC, um, some of the bigger articles I found about it, because they were all saying slightly different versions of the same thing. Um, the true essence of Higgy, oh my God, the true essence of Hugo is the pursuit of everyday happiness, um, which includes doing things like checking out from political discourse and technology and finding happiness and sharing coffee and cake with good friends or a good book and cozy socks. Um, the New Yorker article about this says, winter is the most Hugo time of year. It's candles, nubby woolens, nubby, shearling slippers, woven textiles, pastries, blonde wood, sheepskin rugs, lattes with milk foam hearts, and a warm fireplace. Hugo can be found in the <laughs> what found in a bakery and in the dry heat of a sauna in winter, surrounded by your naked neighbors. It can also be known as that schlubby pair of pants you never wear in public with secretly treasure. This from the Guardian says it's an article called the Hugo Expir uh, Conspiracy. But for all the earnest cultural analyses, linguistic glosses, and quotations, it is the images that one falls for. Hands cupping warm mugs, bicycles leaning against walls, sheepskin rugs thrown over chairs, candles and bonfires, summer picnics, trays of fresh baked buns. To look at them is to long for that life, that warmth, that peace, that stability, that for the idealized Instagrammable Denmark of the imagination. I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what it is. Hands cupping warm mugs. What is it about that that makes me want to transcend space and time and go to a warmer, happier place? And by warm, I mean the coldest place possible and be comforted by the interior warmth of my, uh, you know, exterior uh, uh, surroundings that, if I'm lucky enough, are so cute that they definitely are super old and lack central heat. Because what we want is cute. What we want is stone. What we want is unsustainable. What we often get is, you know, uh, maybe maybe a radiator from like a 1960s high rise with some lovely off-white drywall and a popcorn ceiling. But, but I, I want Rose Hill Cottage from the holiday. I want a place so old and decrepit and lacking modern amenities that the roof is nearly caved in and all we have is the heat from the fireplace and or the gas stove that Kate Winslet weirdly tried to kill herself on, which I could have done without that scene, if I'm honest. This one says, described as the art of intimacy. Uh, it plays on our innate desire to be cozy, something that's part of the Scandinavian way of life. But it's more than just keeping warm by candlelight when it's cold outside. Hugo is about creating a safe and warming atmosphere, about experiencing simple and soul-soothing pleasures and making ordinary day-to-day -day moments meaningful. Like the, I, I, I love and I stand for everything about that, finding the ordinary, no, the extraordinary and the ordinary. Um, it says, uh, spent nestling at home on a Saturday night with chunky woolly knits and steaming mugs of cream-topped hot chocolate, shunning technology in favor of spending quality time with loved ones. Um, it's actually quite difficult to describe since it's more of a feeling than a, and experience. It appears in cozy moments when you're enjoying life. It's the sensation of an enjoyable moment spent in good company. That's where I'll stop. But I think these descriptions are so funny and they are so cozy and it's like literally what people are doing. Uh, this says, locate your favorite nooks, the places where you always enjoy a glass of wine. Immerse yourself in a book or sit with friends. Make time for a cup of tea, light a candle and scatter some soft cushions and blankets. A feeling of calm togetherness and the enjoyment of simple pleasures, perhaps illuminated by the gentle flicker of candlelight. This one said, one book suggests projects for making a winter bunting and a mug cozy, which is fashioned from buttons, sequins, and an old sock. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so what's funny about a couple of those 
And what I read more and more about this, it was actually like the true expression of Huga is joining with loved ones in a relaxed and intimate atmosphere. Um, it's, it's like you can't have it with strangers and you can't have it in an empty room. And it's, it's everything that it represents is like the separation of yourself from technology and not necessarily solitude. It can be like, you know, an indulgence and, you know, an intimate atmosphere with yourself. But more often than not, it's, it's the joining together of loved ones who are laughing over those mugs of cream topped hot cocoa amidst the candlelight, having a, a lighthearted but meaningful discussion. But what's so interesting and, and hollow about how this is depicted on social media is that more often than not, the person, the, 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 the Nisak, chunky turtleneck, uh, super voluminous extensioned ponytail or elaborate braid laden gal is typically alone. And beyond that, she's not separate from technology. No, she's watching a cliche Halloween film. It's uh, timed in her car. It's, it's about the staging of Huga to appear Huga to make other people think that you're being very Huga when in fact, the art of staging it it completely negates the entire purpose of this of this feeling, the sensation, the experience, and I just could not help but laugh that even the the I, it seems the true practitioners of Huga by design would not be online and would not be showcasing it on Instagram would actually be present in the moment of 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 intimacy with their loved ones near and dear by candlelight. They would not be posing and producing it for Instagram, and just like anything else in life. It, it's even though we already knew these were very like posed and stuff i think that for me it was just interesting to read like the depth of how contradictory this um social media phenomenon is relative to you know the the ancient practice i don't know if it's ancient but um i think that like anything you know how when a, somebody posts a photo of them in like a bikini and they're like bent over and I'm like, oh, this isn't a scoliosis exam. Like, this is Instagram. Like, please sit up for a moment while somebody takes your photo. And the like, the caption will be like, what lies behind you and what lies in front of you pales in comparison to what lies inside of you. Ralph Waldo Emerson. I'm like, okay, well, this makes more sense because I'm, I'm about a centimeter from seeing fully inside of you. But also... Why why pair these two things together when this is the most, you know, vapid thing you could be doing to just kind of objectify yourself for how you look on the outside, yet your caption is suggesting, you know, we should be on your page for your character. Okay, Amber, relax. Like, I just, I don't, th those types of contradictions fascinate me about social media and to come to realize that we already knew these things were staged, but beyond that they're philosophically m misaligned i think is another level of fascination i really quite enjoyed and the the thing with huga is that like it swept the nations i guess <laughs> especially in western europe in 2016 specifically around the the onset of of Bra brexit in june 2016 during you know trying political times kind of resorting to this state where you transcend uh, the the difficulty on the outside to have this more cozy, safe interior feeling is something apparently that like over time, Huga is pra actively practiced to fight against because you can't control what goes on outside of your world, but you can control this cozy, comfortable, calm atmosphere. But by by candlelight, that feels safe and comfortable when the, the, there's chaos in the world around you. And I was reading an article um about this kind of phenomenon is similar to how people love to cozily watch true crime. 
and how you know the coziness the warmth the 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 joy found within a warm and inviting interior is almost only exacerbated and emphasized by the notion of a storm going on on the outside so over time this kind of being more popular amidst political cultural unrest is interesting i think the comparison to us watching crime dramas and storms is really interesting and i also think that it makes even more sense when you read about how um it's it's by design it's used as a way to suppress feelings in families and relationships almost because um one article was saying like in danish culture not like you know how we're kind of like don't kill my vibe because we're, we're so eloquent as americans um the similarly uh huga is kind of used in response to like an uncomfortable or emotional situation somebody doesn't want to talk about or like kind of used to suppress feelings almost because the person will be told like let's just huga like let's just stay on the surface and you know be hugely i don't know if that's how you pronounce the word i think it's hugely also it's probably huga and not huga but i've heard it depends like how thick the person's accent is who's saying and so i'm sorry if this is like insufferable anyways i don't know if this is interesting to anybody else i just thought like i don't know i didn't realize that i was looking at something that was kind of like a pretty specific uh, cultural uh, phenomenon. Beyond that, I didn't realize how specific everything from like the cupping of a warm mug to like the socks are. Like uh, this one quote I wrote down that the person said, there's something about socks and Huga, especially hand-knitted socks. And I was like, yes, yes, all these socks do appear to be hand-knitted, hand-knit, whatever um but i the and the thing that i thought that really stuck out to me and i promise i'm moving on i think there's two reasons why this like concept kind of tracks with a lot of what we love in the states especially too i often one one is that i often wonder with hallmark movies like why does every single movie have to be like about a, like a career woman who just like loves working and is, is too busy for love but then when she moves to her hometown where like a, a tree hand she once loved in high school that has disproportionate good looks to his current relationship status falls for her. She gives up absolutely everything that she worked so hard for in a career turns down a promotion in order to like save stay in the small town and save Christmas, forgetting that like a, come December 26th, she might want to keep that job. And she might not want to live in a town called Garland or Cookie Jar that really only thrives six weeks of the year. And worse, do you maybe not want a life partner who who has work that is strictly seasonal? I, I it's it's a confusing thing where the 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 story is set up in a way that the thing she was doing before is actually the thing in real life that I'd argue is right. Like focus on your career, care about yourself, move to a new place, you know, get a promotion. Don't worry about your relationship status; that'll come to you. Like you know, th- those are the things I would advise people to do. But th- those are the villainous behaviors in a Hallmark movie. I feel it in, you know, paired with the innocence of like, you know, icing cookies together all night long, you know, until like the sun comes up when like your elbows are touching and you're reaching over one another and helping each other do things. And like you never kiss like in real life eight hours ago, they probably would have started hooking up and then it was awkward afterward. And then the girl would have bounced and the cookies wouldn't have gotten iced. But do we want to see that? No. And I've almost never really understood why this formula works. And like my family's watched them for years. And despite Hallmark Gate, I still love them. And I, you know, often the times the entertainment for me is just laughing at how anti-feminist and ridiculous and uh, they are and like how oversimplified they make relationships and being in love and how grown ass 35 year old women 
sit on Santa's lap and ask him for true love. Like, the, it's it's just, it's absurd. I was watching Christmas at Pemberley Manor last night, and she was she asked Santa, she wrote to Santa on behalf of her niece asking for true love. And, you know, even though it wouldn't happen, and then the guy across from her um, was like, well, you still have four days till Christmas. And she was like, you're still helping. And it's like, would you really say that to the guy you like? I wrote to Santa asking him for true love. Like, play that out in your head of, like, you on a Tinder date and, like, or do that in real life and, like, let me know how the person responds. I just think, I feel like there should be, like, a mini web series where women go on online dates and talk like Hallmark characters and just watch people drop like flies. Like, even though we want to believe that a person that doesn't know us very well is so charmed by our beauty, our ability to pull off different shades of red and green, how we charmingly, like, laugh, giggle, and get to eye level with the, the passing towns children and how we, you know, above all qualities, above like, like forget intelligence and, and humor and friendliness and, and goodwill. No, all that matters in a, in a woman and a wife and a mother is the relentless pursuit of Christmas spirit. And even though we want to think that would happen, like more often than not, a person who's like psychotically obsessed with Christmas, like should probably take it down a notch on a first date. But weirdly in these towns, like everybody's is uniquely obsessed with Christmas and the guy, the villain, the either the big town CEO who's not or the guy that's obsessed with automation who comes in the town and is like, you shouldn't have 55 people baking your cookies for six weeks of seasonal work that uses up in 365 days worth of budget. No, you should have robots. And people are like, oh, what a monster. And I'm like, actually, yeah, that would be really efficient. That would probably you know, add more to your economy ultimately by bringing in more revenue. And then you could probably find other jobs for these people. But no, the, the, the war cry of a Hallmark movie is like, what do we want? Manual labor. When do we want it? Seasonally. It, it, you know, it's like, it's it's very strange. And I don't know what any of these people do year round. But anyways, I won't get further into it. I feel like everybody has their own like, standard plot line of a Hallmark movie. And it like, one guy will like slightly reword it and it'll go viral as a tweet. Like the most viral one that's so annoying is like, the plot of every Hallmark movie is about a career woman who is too busy for love, but she has to move to a small town where a handsome local bachelor teaches her all about the true spirit of the holiday. It starts snowing and they kiss. There's also a dog. Like, that tweet is everywhere. That Like, duh. That's what everybody thinks, but some guy named Joel gets all the credit for it. So I feel like it's almost cliche to make fun of Hallmark movies now. I make fun of them because I really like them, but I don't want to be a person that thinks it, I'm, it sounds like I'm telling a brand new joke by you know, bringing up that this career woman, you know, lost her Christmas spirit. Like, obviously, there's <laughs> a polar bear shit in the woods. Yes. Does a small town party planner get overstressed about what turns out to be a pretty disappointing and poorly attended tree lighting? Absolutely. These things are facts and we all know them. And it's like the more people, it's like, it's fun to make fun of something until everybody else does. And that was part of my rage of Hallmark Gate when they only had male media personalities commenting on the movies. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yes, these are ridiculous, but they're also ours. Like the eyeballs of women 25 to 54 fund the network. And it's insane to only have men on the, the, the media panels because all the other talent that did represent a lot of women were actors. But the commentators were all men. Obviously, we all know this blew up in my face and became a whole thing. I recently archived it off my static Instagram post because I don't want to like live in a world. I don't post enough to like have it get pushed down. And while I want to call them out, I called them out in real time while it was relevant. But I also don't want, like, negativity being left on my feed because, um, like, whatever, it's over. I made my point. I moved on. But I'm not, like, a person that, like, lives to call people out. That wasn't fun for me. I actually felt, like, weirder if I didn't do it because it was just so freaking mean. And I wanted to make it a point to stand up for girls everywhere that have ever been victimized by just straight-up unsupportive, unaware bitches in the name of, like, girl power or feminism. There's this weird thing where, like, 
if you don't agree with everything another woman does, their only defense is women shouldn't cut each other down. Women shouldn't tear each, each other down. And even when they like half, like, they, well, the A, I had to ask for an apology that I didn't get till the second email. The first email was what started as something like turned into women attacking other women. And I'm like, ugh, I, I'm not even going to get started. But I just, I wasn't, I honestly didn't even want to talk about Hallmark Gate on this podcast period. Cause I feel like if you follow me on Instagram, you already had way too much of it. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. And I know like speaking in, in platitudes about feminism makes me sound like the condescending one up here on a perch. But I just had this like rush of like mean girl behavior when I was like very lightheartedly calling out that they didn't have women on this panel of our network, like run by women, like which it is. And like clearly one of them just like got drunk and wanted me to feel bad and, you know, decided to like double down on shaming me for not supporting women when it's a women run event that didn't choose women for the commentators. Like I'm allowed to have feedback as a customer, like bottom line, if it's a business account, you're like, I'm allowed to air my thoughts about a public facing event and the user experience I had on the website that expressed to me the talent involved and outside of actors and actresses, there were only men. So I gave my opinion. They were furious. And one of them got drunk and gets online later and starts to like eviscerate my commentary being like, well, maybe your cutesy little Instagram stories should have noticed that we're uh, run by women and all we care about is girl power. And if you wanted to be invited to our event, this was not the way to go about it. Just saying, shrug, upside down emoji. Like it was all sorts of like a passive aggressive language that as women, we know exactly what it's designed to do. And I've been on the receiving end of that like one too many times being made to feel so uncool and so left out. And especially in this like influencer you know, industry where like, there's like cool people that like run shit and then like I'll try to like network or get involved and then I'm made to feel like I'm some like thirsty weirdo. Like I'm just tired of this nonsense. And I didn't, I, I, I don't know. Uh, the bottom line is uh, if, if it's hard, it's really hard for me to like call somebody out or stand up for something because I feel bad. I still feel bad about doing that. Like I don't want, I don't want the negativity. I don't want the issue to hover. I just want to move on. But that's more so for my self-preservation. I felt like here there was like a broader message of how women speak to other women in the name of feminism that I wanted to, you know, shed light on, even though it might have seemed like a more selfish pursuit on my end. I knew this wasn't going to like get picked up by the times. It, it didn't get me any more Instagram followers. If anything, it probably got me more shit talking about how I was complaining about something and I wouldn't drop it. But my, the, to me, the the most important thing to remember is sometimes that supporting women it isn't blindly supporting the bad behavior of other women. Sometimes supporting women is calling out the the women who so poorly misconstrue feminism as having license to, to air their own self-righteous uh, brand of bitchiness uh, to speak condescendingly to others and not for good reason or to absorb, you know, the well-intentioned feedback at hand, but rather to aggressively defend their own bad behavior and to deflect from the actual issue. And I, I just think it's important to remember that supporting women isn't agreeing with everything a woman does. And if somebody is using that argument against you to make you feel bad and like you're a bad feminist and you're unsupportive, just know that they probably have so, they probably have no argument that they're having to resort to the only thing they have, which is their like gender, which is just like you're supposed to support me and not tear down other women instead of like they actually had a point in an argument, they would focus on the content. And I just it, it's a thing that drives me crazy that I see a lot of on the Internet, especially among like celebrity feuds and while I do agree that women need to support other women and we need to be raising each other up, 
the more I, the older I get, the more I realize the active uh, avoidance of toxicity in pursuit of my own comfort or, or self-preservation is more problematic than the person exhibiting the toxic behavior because I'm the one excusing it and letting it slide. And I think you do pick your battles at times, and I don't think every war is yours to take on. I think sometimes you can be inappropriately inserting yourself, but when it's something that happens to you and you feel like has a broader message, and even if it's uncomfortable for you to stand up and say something, I don't always think it's the worst idea. And I know that amidst other political uh, goings-on and broader female issues, this is like the most mild, stupid thing, and this 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 is not the hill I want to die on. But what I'm saying is, as mild as it is, it was still like really uncomfortable for me because I don't like... I don't like being a source for, of conflict. I'm not confrontational. And um, I don't know. Anyways, I guess that's my two cents about Hallmark Gate. I don't even know what I was talking about. Huga. <laughs> that was not very Huga is my point. Um, and that was kind of what was funny, what was pissing me off about the attitude of these Hallmark people, not only, you know, misusing the term girl power, not only misusing it but also like why are you using it in the first place like hi jerry hollowell it's good to see you i didn't know we were in 1996 but also the the people running an event that's so it's supposed to be so holly jolly being so cruel and off-putting and and not and not understanding whatsoever and combative i was just like this is odd like hallmark represents everything you know, the human experience isn't. And I guess now what I'm saying is I shouldn't have been so surprised that the people running it didn't align with it whatsoever because it's not reality. It's a projection of what, what the uncomplicated way that at times we want to live when there's chaos around us. So for a moment, our homes through our televisions become this hoogly environment that even if we don't have a wood-burning fireplace and, uh, you know, snow on the ground and a tree lighting and a, a, a candlelit sleigh ride, we vicariously have one and it gives us that feeling of safety and we don't we we transcend the world's problems and we don't want to hear about them and i guess i'm just like having this full circle moment where so many things that we like seasonally on instagram on hallmark all of this stuff is so wrapped up in what is a very much a a danish a scandinavian uh a phenomenon so ingrained in their culture like akin to how freedom is ingrained in ours i just thought it was a really interesting thing that i've kind of been making a mockery of that while it in of, of itself isn't you know shouldn't be mocked the pursuit of something so contradictory to what it means by posting on an instagram actually makes it even funnier and um i will continue to do so the other thing too that like uh, stuck out to me when i was reading about this is um with Hugo. <coughs> sorry is that the british pub culture is very hugely you leave the formalities outside and gather indoors in an atmosphere that's casual relaxed and warm also the british tradition of an afternoon cup of tea has great hugo potential so I had like a brain explosion emoji happen when they were talking about British pub culture because like I fantasize about that because a huge driver of my adult desire for coziness for winter wonderlands for cold weather fashions with the you know excessive numbers of coat buttons of candlelit interiors of of, of dark wood walls of barely working interior heat from a wood burning fireplace so you have to snuggle under blankets all of these things like are direct products of the movie The Holiday with Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet as I brought up earlier per Rose Hill Cottage. And you know what? One of my favorite scenes in the holiday is that I look forward to when I'm watching it that like I just freaking love and I can't, I didn't even like couldn't even place it is the pub, the freaking pub when Cameron Diaz meets Jude Law and gives a weird open hand wave. Uh, let me play this song quickly from the scene while I, well, I'm going to watch it and I want you to hear it and I want to like just briefly transport you because this is like everything that that this term represents to me and everything I'm constantly trying to capture. And I think why I loved 
moving to New York City and why I love Chicago. It can be really, really cold and depressing, but it also can be really, really cozy. I think there's something about Chicago. There's this baseline friendliness um, and, you know, there's there's less of a pretentious air as there can be in other cities. But combined with the, the treacherous weather and the cold and wind and snow, all the bars in the winter are almost public and serve as a refuge for us weary souls out there traipsing through the inclement weather. And I find such comfort in that. And I guess I'm glad to have a word to put with it now. I guess I'm glad to be able to keep making fun of this because it's bizarre. And I guess I'm just glad to know that, like, we're not— cr I just was like, am I going crazy? Like, why are so many people taking photos of their mugs with their sock feet and these weird things surrounding them? Um, but anyway, moving on. As I was saying earlier, a long time ago, I wanted to review some of the blind spots from the Instagram submissions. I'm, like, loving this crowdsourcing ending of an episode. I think it's, like, so much fun. Okay, before we get to the blind spots, speaking of all things Huga and cozy and fun for fall, um, I wanted to remind you about the FabFitFun fall box. I was going to do like a big reveal, kind of like I see Lucy from 7th Heaven doing on Facebook, but um, I like tore through it like an animal and I actually have used most of the stuff. Unfortunately, I am looking forward to the winter box, but the fall box is still on sale. And my Facebook group turned me on to this, asking me for a code when I started advertising. And I, I don't know what I thought. I think I thought it was travel sizes or something in monthly, but it's actually kind of the opposite. FabFitFun, it's, it's a women's lifestyle subscription box filled with full-size premium beauty, lifestyle, fitness, home, and wellness products that are sent to your door seasonally, so four times a year. They could take the hassle out of shopping by doing it for you, but also it's this balance of curated and so, like self-selected that I really love because before you order your box for that season you go in and make selections and pick between certain series of items to complete your box so like i chose the like cheese platter but i could have gotten a wallet or detox pads or this kate spade lunch tote that's super cute there's like in one section it was like a yoga mat a scarf a hair straightener or i mean there's so many things you can pick from that are substantial and what i really like about the full-size items you know, you try something like a one-off and you're like, great, that was awesome. But going forward, it's expensive. And I wish I could have seen the long-term reaction, my skin or my hair or whatever had to it. And having full-size products, you're actually getting to use them and getting full value out of it for a much less price than you normally would pay, especially considering the box typically retails for $49.99, but it has a value of over $200. Like that's minimum. Your selections can make it go far and above 200. For example, I've always seen people use those gold like eye mask things that looked really fancy and I probably wouldn't have tried them, but I threw them in my bag when I went to New Orleans last weekend and understandably had a couple rough nights. And needless to say, those brought me back to life and I plowed through three of them. I was so excited to have them because if I just had them once, it wouldn't have really done anything, but I was able to kind of reapply throughout the day and I felt anew. So I just really like the fact that it's full-sized. You can pick some of it, but it is already curated to prevent kind of paralysis of choice. And four times a year kind of prevents the, you know, clutter and excess feeling I've had with some other subscription boxes. So anyways, if you are interested in FabFitFun and the fall box and some of these products, go to FabFitFun.com and Be There in 5 listeners can get $10 off their first box using code be there in five f-i-v-e not the number just how the show is spelled so again go to uh, fabfitfun.com use code be there in five for ten dollars off your first full box that's a seasonal subscription box with full-size beauty fitness fashion and lifestyle products i am not lying to you when i tell you i'm converted i think this is just a really like fun thing and you know my facebook group never never leads me astray and for that i thank them again fabfitfun.com code be there in five for ten dollars off your first box 
All right, back to your regularly scheduled programming. And I know what everybody's thinking. Kate, tell us more about Arby's. And you know I will. Um, So when I say I went to Arby's a lot in my youth, I went a lot, like a lot, a lot. And it's just like I talk about it because it's kind of a hallmark of my suburban experience. Imagine my surprise when I dig into this further and realize that everyone else seems to think Arby's is a dumpster fire. People were talking so badly about Arby's, you would think that they thought, like, Blimpy was the French laundry. I I was like, how, what? Like, in my head, Arby's is high, high high-end fast food, almost bridging to, like, a nice deli, like a McAllister's. Do I think it's, like, a, you know, a formal restaurant? No, but, like, for fast casual, fine dining, Arby's, to me, was a premier option. I got a DM and somebody was like, oh, yeah, my Arby's, they found a dead body in the dumpster last weekend. As if a murderer thought it was so on brand for a dead body to be in the dumpster at Arby's, it would, you know, help to throw someone off their scent. I'm just like, I, I, so I start to get really confused. And I'm like, uh, this whole time, none of you guys told me that you thought Arby's was gross. It's twice the price of other fast food. They stack fine roast beef very high. You know, it's not the nicest cheese sauce in the world, but I find it complimentary. And I think, I just thought as a nation, we loved curly fries as much as we love waffle. And I start digging further. And what I realized is that there's like this group in Richmond, Virginia that owns some of the Arby's. And there's one in particular that I grew up near. It looks like a ski lodge. It's it's like really nice. There's canoes hanging from the ceiling. There's these like carved Canadian uh, totem poles. There's like a lot of dark wood. There's a stone fireplace. The place is like high beamed you know, vaulted ceilings. We had high back wooden carved chairs. We had table side lamps. Like it looks like a restaurant. Like there was a barbecue place, a Tex-Mex place. We had a smoothie bar. The the, the people that worked there wore like white chef's coats. <laughs> and so in my head, this is Arby's. And anytime I've gone to another Arby's, I've been like, man, this Arby's blows. Like what's going on? But it never registered to me that I had never really seen a nice one besides the one in my hometown. Also, I've lived in cities since I left my hometown a decade ago in, you know, small areas of small real estate. Like, they're just going to have city fast food joints, which are never nice. And I don't have a car, so I don't go through drive throughs And, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's confused me over the years that Greg doesn't want to stop at Arby's and seems to not like it. I'm like, what's wrong with you? Like, this is fine dining. So I guess, you know, like things just happen in childhood and they are what they are and you don't really overthink them and analyze them and go back and read I never really thought about why this Arby's was so nice. And then I find an article from the year 2000 when it was built. And it's describing this new Arby's as these guys that own like fast food franchises. They're trying, I guess, fast food, you know, they're, they excel in the lunch hour, but they're trying to become more like dinner destinations. So they designed this gorgeous Arby's. And like, it's literally, the article sounds like it's from Eagleton from Parks and Recreation. Like, it's so excessive for a fast food place. And I'm just like, I'm like weeping, laughing about like how unnecessarily fancy this Arby's is and how I thought it was the standard. Because like, for example, they um, there's three uh, topiaries outside of this Arby's. They're topiary bulls that are completely anatomically size correct to a real bull. And in the year 2000, they each cost (laughs) $18,000. The restaurant is decorated with granite and marble floors and featured and features high-backed wooden chairs around some of the tables. Canadian Indians carved an intricate totem pole that sits in the center of the dining area. Geese and wooden canoes hang from the ceiling. Lowe says the desired effect was the, to give the appearance of a Montana Indian lodge. 
If that's not to your liking, perhaps you'd prefer to take your tray and dine al fresco under the restaurant's yellow umbrellas. At this Arby's, that's an option, too. And I mean, like, guys, this is really freaking nice Arby's. <laughs> and I then also start to regress through, like, when I worked at Nielsen and stuff, like, I would have client meetings and we'd be in suburbs. And, like, I would suggest we'd go to Arby's. Like, we'd be around other, like, restaurants that, like, you sit down and that, like, maybe weren't the nicest, but were, like, you know, at least decent quality waiter service. And I'd be like, nah, guys, let's just, like, we'll just like go to the Arby's. It'll be quick. It'll be fast. We'll you know, have a nice meal, walk out. And I'm like not realizing that other Arby's just don't look anything like this because the one in Shore Pump is like filled with business people too during lunchtime. I just truly like, I didn't know you guys weren't eating your beef and cheddars next to a wood burning fireplace. <laughs> I didn't know your topiaries weren't anatomically correct. I just like, I'll never get over this. And then according to this article, six of the top 10 best-selling Arby's restaurants in the world are in Richmond. So even the worst Arby's in Richmond is probably the best Arby's you've ever seen. Because there were other ones that weren't as nice as the Ski Lodge. But like, it just was normal for me. And I guess I just don't go that much ever since. And I really do like it. And I Postmates Arby's very often from a very gross one on Wells Street. And I just like, Anyways, it was this hilarious blind spot where I'm like, I'm 32 years old and it never occurred to me that every other Arby's I went to, um, you know, should be the norm and mine should be the exception. And I cringe at all of the times I earnestly suggested to a group of people that I needed to respect me that we should indeed opt for that option for lunch or dinner. You know, we sign a big contract, Arby's. It's your birthday, Arby's. You get engaged, Arby's. I mean, like, to me, it's so refined because instead of grinding the beef crassly into a burger... They they shave it elegantly as if it's a deli, but they make it fast food and they specialize in one thing and they pile it high. And I mean, their market fresh sandwiches are good too. Their tenders rule. I don't know, guys. So there's two things here. It's like one, it's hilarious that my Arby's was disproportionately fancy and I didn't realize it. Two, I'm confused that people think the food is so disgusting and it makes me wonder if ambiance just really affects the food taste so much because I really think it's good. <laughs> And three, I think that, like, it's just funny when you realize there are these things that you never really looked into and they're like blind spots. And I had people submit them to Instagram and they were so freaking funny. And most of them are in an Instagram highlight I see called blind spots. I actually haven't checked a lot of them because within the 24 hour period the next day, I was like doing wedding stuff and wasn't really with my phone that much over the weekend. Um, but there were so many that were the same. Like, a ton of people said they thought that the phrase might as well was. Mizewell, M-I-S-E-W-E-L-L. I have never heard that. Everyone said they thought um, making ends meet was M-E-A-T. And like when you didn't, it meant like we don't have enough money to afford uh, like meats. Like no more cold cuts. No more no more steaks. No, We're vegetarians now because we can't make ends meet. And like that made me laugh so hard. A lot of people thought it was a mute point instead of moot point. Very Joey Tribbiani. I actually thought this too, that up and Adam was up and Adam, like A-D-A-M. Like, <laughs> um, everybody thought it was play it by year and not ear. I, I've never heard that one too. Um, <laughs> my mom used to spell out our last name starting with F as in Frank. To me, it sounded like F as in Frank. I thought it was some weird code while in high school. Like, like, <laughs> oh, I think that's really funny. F is in Frank. <laughs> it's a singular word. <sighs> Only in theaters does not literally mean it will never not be in theaters. Um, thought the song Free Falling says 
loves Cheez-Its and not loves Jesus. Lyrics could be its own category. Um, The white plastic thing that they put in the center of the pizza is so the lid won't crush the top. Honestly, I always thought it was like a um, like a tiny little table. Like it was like a cartoonish doll table. Brass tacks. I thought it was some sort of tax on brass. Honestly, I think I spelled it brass T-A-X like yesterday. So Um, a lot of nip in the butt instead of no, a lot of nip in the butts instead of nip in the butt with the butt is the real one. Um, a lot of food ones like realizing mini carrots aren't real. They're just bigger carrots cut up into smaller carrots. <laughs> oh my God. Did you guys know a pony isn't a baby horse? It's just a separate type of horse. I really thought ponies were, were young horses. And I feel disappointed that I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have any more information. That's just what somebody told me. This person thought misdemeanor was Mr. Meaner, like a mean mister. <laughs> I, honestly, that tracks. Like, geez, mister, could you be any meaner robbing that bank? Um, when I was little, I thought a prostitute was a type of lawyer like a prosecutor. <laughs> For years, I thought congestion road signs meant beware of nasal congestion. And honestly, I support that. Like, oh, there's bad air, bad smog, beware, gonna get congested, don't want a runny nose on the highway. Everybody thought Hawaii and Alaska were, like, A, thought Alaska was an island, or B, thought they were, like, off the coast of Florida, or, like, California, like, immediately off, because when you have a map of the U.S., they just, like, separate them out. <laughs> um, buck naked, butt naked, that's a common one. It is buck naked. Surprising number of people that thought wind chill was windshield. Like, Pete, like, the... <laughs> Like the weatherman was telling you, like how much precipitation was going to happen because you'll need to wipe your windshield. <laughs> oh gosh, um, there a lot of people thought narwhals weren't real, like they were the unicorns of sea life. Like it's just like funny, like misunderstandings of pronunciation, like thinking like the word misled is pronounced misled, and when you think of like tinseled or um, I don't know, chiseled, mizzled. You know, I wouldn't think misled. I'd, I'd think misled, but it's it's misled. And I'm like, wow, you're not wrong. English is weird. Oh, a, the ABCs, Twinkle Twinkle, and Baba Black Sheep are all sung to the same tune. That that blew my mind. I was saying that my recent one I found out was that first come, first served is correct because it's like if you the earlier you come, the earlier will serve you. But like, first come, first serve doesn't actually make grammatical sense. It's first come, first served. And I've been saying that wrong my entire life. This girl in college, she didn't, she, she found out that cooch wasn't a word for a small space. <laughs> Are you thinking like scooch over? Like, I just, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of like the context that you would use that in. But like, I don't know if you're like getting in a, in a class photo, like, you know, trying to scoot in between two people. Like, can I get in your cooch? Oh my God. Did you guys know that this little piggy went to the market? It's not like the Wegmans. Like, it's not, it's not even Erewhon, you know? I just thought, like, somebody was going to, like, an adorable, like, farmer's market. Like, oh, my God, can you imagine little pigs shopping with their hooves, like, in their little, you know, baskets? No, they're going to the freaking slaughterhouse. And that's upsetting on so many levels, and I think we need to rebrand uh, this little piggy went to the market, if you ask me. Because that is dark. And apparently, the cows and the cattle trucks aren't going to the fair. <sighs> I thought birthday suit meant dressed to the nines until I was about 22. <laughs> Don't forget your birthday suit, teacher. Um, this person thought the saying was not my first radio 
Because, like, if you're, you know, a person, like, announcing a thing, like, that you know well, it's, like, not your first time on the radio. <laughs> um, a lot of people thinking zucchini were, like, cooked worms of cucumber. Not true. Apparently, um, that the ripeness of a pepper dictates its color. So, like, some some types of, like, red and yellow peppers are green peppers, and green peppers taste like shit because they're unripe or too ripe. I forget. Whatever it is, green peppers are far worse. I mean, red, yellow, orange are bust in my book. And that made me feel more justified about the flavor. Um, but also, if your green peppers go bad, they don't turn orange or yellow. You know what I mean? I guess maybe they still need to be, be on the vine. Like, what do peppers grow on? Not trees, I assume. They're probably, like, growing from the ground, right? Oh, my gosh. Okay, what's so funny is somebody said um, that they bet actual money that Gin and Juice was definitely an original song by Fish. Okay, I was like, wait, why is that in my memory, too? Like, I knew, like, Snoop Dogg, like, that was his song. But also, I do have a memory of, like, seeing it covered by Fish. And so I Googled it because I was like, yeah, like, that's crazy. And there's, like, all these threads of people that are on, like, LimeWire and Napster. And this cover of uh, Snoop's Gin and Juice was done by a bluegrass band and misattributed to Fish. And it was this one file that, like, everybody downloaded. So everybody thought that Fish sung Gin and Juice. And I was like, oh, my God, that's, like, an awesome, really random, specific thing that affected people all over the nation. We didn't even know it. This person thought Paradigm was a pair of dimes. <laughs> um, the, uh, this person said Arby's actually stands for RBs, as in roast beef. It actually doesn't. It stands for something else that I'm forgetting. Uh, but I did look this up because I was like, I feel like I would know this. But it actually is uh, for the two names of the brothers, I think, that started Arby's. Look it up. The Jack in the Box pops at the same time in the song every time. Isn't that crazy? Pop. Like, like, yeah, that's what it does. Because it's like pop goes the weasel. That's the song that a Jack in the Box plays, right? All around the mulberry bush. The monkey chased the weasel. What the heck is a mulberry bush? Pop goes the weasel. Are those the words, what the heck is a mulberry bush? Also, did you know heck is a combo of hell and the F word? Because you either say what the F or what the hell? Like, what the heck? I, I, I would think I have never heard that before. I also love, somebody pointed out that they, they thought the Disney D looked like a G. And, like, I couldn't agree more. I honestly don't even think I realized it was, like, a D with, um, you know, what are those things called? Swashes? It was until, like, I was not Disney-watching age. And, it yeah, it looks like a backwards G, and it doesn't make any sense. It kind of looks like a music note, almost. Um, okay, I didn't really figure this out till recently, either, that donut holes are, like, actual holes punched out of donuts. Like, the donuts don't come as a ring. I had no idea. I thought the holes were made separate. It, it makes a ton of sense. It just never was explicitly explained to me. I thought you couldn't drink anything while driving, not even water. <laughs> I thought you were confused by those cup holders. Tell that to all these higgy-seeking Harry Potter watchers in their vehicles in the middle of a foliage-ridden road. They have very full mugs that are made of, like, shaped animals that there's no way in hell they fit in a, a standard cup holder. The word clairvoyant wasn't actually a woman named Clairvoyant. <laughs> That's a cute storybook character. Um, I thought... I thought OBO meant our best offer. Like, don't even try to negotiate. <laughs> Which sucks for you because I'm sure you've had years of like Craigslist stuff or like apartments and it said OBO. Basically, OBO means like, I want to get rid of this so badly. Like, offer me like 10, 10 bucks. Like, I love an OBO, but it's hilarious that you chose their highest price. <laughs> a lot of people said, like a lot said that Dachshund is how you pronounce like Dachshund the dog and that they um, aren't da dash hounds. 
I've never even I've never thought that. I don't maybe I don't know enough dachshunds to not realize that. I just call them wiener dogs. Dairy cows and beef cows are not the same cow. This is shocking. Um, again, this could be its own category. There's so many misheard lyrics, but like this person thought um, Fergie and Luda half a million for the stones was half a million buttered scones. And that does sound delicious. Um, that a lot of people, yeah, whirlwind, it's not whirlwind. And there isn't an actual chemical that will turn pool water different color if you pee in it. And honestly, I don't feel comfortable using my platform to spread this because I want people to think that it, there's like a litmus test issue and they shouldn't be in the pool because it's so gross. If you're an adult who pees in the pool, like for the love of God, that disgruntled is an antonym of gruntled. Which is funny because gruntled does not sound positive. So if, if disgruntled is like ornery and irritable or frustrated, then gruntled is like gleeful and content. Color like I, I I'm gonna start using gruntled. Sounds a little too much like gruntled, but we'll go with it. A lot of people thought reindeers were a sham in addition to narwhals and caribou. Um this girl her whole life has called them hammy downs. H A M M Y. Somebody else said their boyfriend calls them handy downs. Um, again, maybe buy your own clothes, gang. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, my ex-boyfriend thought Mennonites were men and knights. <laughs> um, this person thought that the song Bottoms Up, instead of Mr. Steal Your Girl, they were saying, is Misty still your girl? <laughs> Like, hey, still with Misty? What's new? And somebody else said in the Ja Rule J-Lo song, um, I'm Real, when he's like, are you Ellie? They thought they were saying, are you Ellie? Like E-L-L-I-E, like a very popular girl's name right now. And it's just like funny because in the context of like Ja Rule, like murder Inc., for, you know, for J for J-Lo to be like, are you Ellie? Like, are you Skylar? <laughs> are you Riley? Are you Lakin? Are you Jaden? I mean, like, all these names kind of work. And it's just funny to think in, like, you know, a hard rapper, like, associating with Ellie. It's not, it's a cute name. It's just, like, you know, it wasn't popular back then. And also, I just, like, I don't know. I just find that to be hilarious. <laughs> this person thought in Get Low, the song was Can I Play With Your Dandelion. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> this person went to private school their whole life and their mind was blown when you, they found out public school was free. Oh, God. <laughs> See, this is like, oh, God, private school. I'll, I'll reserve my thoughts. <laughs> this person thought that when you typed in the zip code at the gas pump, you're supposed to put in the zip code of where you were. <laughs> also, I never know the zip code of where I am. That might have, must have been a frustrating searching process. This one blew my mind. They're called soft drinks because it's the opposite of a hard drink, like alcohol. Isn't that wild? Shocked how many people didn't pick up on that flow ride. It was the same word as flow, Florida. Um, but, you know, maybe I'm just a huge flow, flow ride. <laughs> um, I also thought prima donna was P-R-E space Madonna. I thought it was about, I, you know, like a virgin Madonna. God forbid I realized that. The, like, well, like Madonna in Italian means my lady, but it's used to refer to Mary and Jesus's mom. Um <laughs> I need to clarify that for you. Jesus' mom, have you met her? Her name's Mary. <laughs> um, elbow grease is not something you can find at Lowe's next to the WD-40. <laughs> uh, I thought that calling someone a goat was like saying they're strong like a mountain goat. I have to admit, when I first started seeing GOAT acronym for greatest of all time, I was like, geez, GOAT yoga. Like, this is, GOATs are sweeping the nation. 
Um, you know, but I, I, so I don't think you're crazy, but f- the fact like they're strong, like a mountain goat, like there's a million animals, <laughs> like that would not be my go-to, which is why that's funny. Um, similar to first come first served, it's iced tea, not iced tea. Um, daylight saving time, not daylight savings time. That tea time is not T-E-A time. It's not some old British phrase about both tea and golf. <laughs> Um, saying facade instead of facade or preface instead of preface, a lot of biopic, biopic um, (laughs) confusion. I thought Carmelo Anthony's family created the Caramello candy bar. Carmelo Anthony? Like the basketball player? Like Lala Anthony's? (laughs) That's so specific and random. (laughs) Oh, God. I, too, also thought infrared was infrared for a very long time, but I did not think it was hyperbole. I did think it was per, 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 parable. Isn't parabola spelled like, spelled like hyperbole? Um, apparently, handwriting is not genetic. I don't know what I thought, if it was genetic or not. I think it maybe kind of is, no? You're like, artistic skill can be, and I feel like those are um, the same. Person bit into a Yankee candle. Didn't know they didn't taste as good as they smelled. What? I hope that wasn't recently. Jeez Louise. Chunk, chump change is not chunk change. A lot of people were with me in that tape measure is not tape measurer. It's just a tape measure. Isn't that wild? A lot of Miswell. So this person said I'm from Philly. I thought Miswell was a legit word. I wonder if that's Philly. This person thought ponies weren't baby horses, but teenage horses. Uh, anytime someone had the MD after their name, they didn't mean they went to the University of Maryland. <laughs> My boyfriend will not say ruined. He's convinced it's pronounced ruined. Actually, I think that's more of a dialect thing. I know a lot of people that say ruined from the South. This person went to Catholic school for 14 years and thought Jesus was also Catholic until five years ago. What a Catholic school thing to do to be like, if Jesus could have been Catholic, he so would have been. <laughs> Marry a Catholic and never get divorced and uh, only pay attention to your mucus to have babies because that's a reasonable thing to do this day and age when we have technology and other things to prevent unwanted pregnancies. Speaking of, this person didn't realize storks weren't real until last year. And I'm not I'm not going to lie. I never thought put enough thought into storks. I think I thought they were pelicans or something. Um, the toaster numbers are a timer, not level of toastiness. Is that true? I know. Wait, aren't those the same thing, actually? Um, never forget in high school when I was called out for calling it the library. Oh, God, library. Library is so embarrassing. <laughs> Can't imagine. I would hope nobody made it past like 14 still calling it a library. Special batteries don't exist and my parents are geniuses when it comes to loud toys. Oh, that's like so smart for your parents to be like, sorry, I got you this really annoying Christmas gift, but it needs special batteries. <laughs> oh, I thought this was funny because it's subtle. This girl said, I thought there were two different varieties of dandelions, yellow and white. Um, I get, I feel the same way because whenever I hear dandelion, I think of a daffodil. But a dandelion is the, the, has the thingies you blow and the seeds that go everywhere. And apparently they grow weeds and my dad didn't want us blowing dandelions in the yard. Now I'm wondering if that's real. Is, are those, is that special batteries? But of lawn care. We also couldn't walk through the grass. Does it really kill the grass when you walk through it? I don't know. I, there's a lot of lawn care related uh, myths I need to debunk on this here podcast. I did not have, like, I, there's two types of people in this world. People that take care of their lawns and those who don't. People who take care of their lawns know that it is so much work to maintain. And when people willy-nilly have no regard for your lawn, plan it, walk through it, 
drive on it, whatever, and you spent forever like aerating it and, you know, sodding it and doing whatever the hell you need to. It's offensive. And my friends never understood this. And we're always just plowing through our lawn. And like, it was impossible to explain. But I will never walk on somebody's lawn. To this day, if I find myself in a suburb at a house, I will walk only on your driveway and sidewalk. And I kind of can't understand people who think it's okay to walk on a lawn. This person said they thought wedding vows said in sickness and in hell, not in sickness and in health. I mean, get married and then tell me if you still think I'm just kidding. I think people like marriage, like it sucks. I actually love being married. I think it's much easier than dating and it's quite relaxing. I don't have kids yet. I'm sure that throws a wrench in things, but uh, I really hate when people act like being married sucks because it makes people who aren't married be like, well, should I get married? But I actually think it's great if you meet the right person. And if you just go into it thinking it sucks, you're going to marry a person that sucks. Two people said they, for a long time, were saying from the get-go and not from the get-go. <laughs> Some confusion around the word approximately not meaning precisely when they are actually mean two totally different things. And that 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 that's actually a problematic word to not understand because you're like, oh, we're going to leave it approximately this time. It's very different from precisely. And if you say approximately, I will be late. Um... Cats don't really have nine lives. I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I think I kind of thought that was true. Like, they can just fall a lot and kind of, like, they grow back, like Salem from, you know, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Or, I guess, Hocus Pocus. Um, my brother thought that duly noted was duly noted, as in he wrote it down twice. Okay, I actually learned this last year. I really thought it was D-U-A-L-L-Y. Because I thought it was, like, somebody says something and I'm like, duly noted. Like, I note this as well. Like, we both agree. But it's D-U-L-Y. Crazy. Um, I'm going to stop soon. I just think these are so funny. A lot of people don't think animals are real. Like this person doesn't think bats are real. Not mythical creatures. Thinking somebody's mom saying, what's her name? Was a Lavriel last name? Was she going to remember somebody's name? (laughs) Men getting blue balls is a serious medical injury. That's because men, watch Nikki Glaser's Netflix special. That's because men make it seem like that's a real thing. Then we should feel bad for them. But no, it's, it's like, it's like the greatest urban legend of all time. It's so stupid. Uh, I had to learn the hard way last year that I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus was that was not Santa. It was daddy dressed as Santa. And they do not make that clear. And I spent 31 years of my life thinking mommy was an adulterer. And I just like, how can Christmas people stand idly by and not explain this song for the radio people, please, for the love, just like caveat that before you play the song. I think we need to spread this knowledge because I think. A lot of people are uncomfortable with this song. I just like couldn't believe that this kid that was so charmed. But well, the, 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 okay. Here's the thing, though: the kid doesn't know that. The kid thinks mommy's a cheater and doesn't realize it's daddy. And the adults listening to the song are supposed to realize it's daddy. It's very, very strange. I also hate Santa Baby. It's like, oh, I'm just a helpless broad that couldn't possibly want anything for Christmas from this old fat man that I'm going to seduce so I can get a duplex and checks. Give me a break. When asked about. Euthanasia. I thought they said euthanasia, and I agree. I thought this for a very long time, and I was very confused, and I thought it was like a medical malpractice issue of young people in Asia. <laughs> I also did think wolverines were mythical creatures. I did not know that those were real until I met Greg, whose school mascot is a wolverine, and it's not just like a comic book character. Min- Minneapolis is not a small version of <laughs> Annapolis, so it's not Minneapolis. <laughs> What? <laughs> so silly. 
the fact that your awareness of Annapolis would be higher than Minneapolis is funny to me. I always get, I, when I, I used to go to Minneapolis all the time for work when I worked with like Target and General Mills and stuff. And um, I would always get, think, I would always call the state Minneapolis and not Minnesota, which is so stupid. But I've, there's a couple other places I've done this with that I'm trying to think of, but that have like almost interchangeable city and state names. Like Philadelphia and Pennsylvania, I think, are kind of confusing. Um, I'm a moron. I shouldn't reveal any more of my issues with these things. There's an interstate junction in Atlanta called Spaghetti Junction. Until I was 24, I thought it was a restaurant and couldn't understand why so many people had wrecks there. <laughs> Turns out it's where all the major interstates <laughs> intersect. Honestly, I would love to meet you at Spaghetti Junction. That sounds delicious. There's a restaurant, a chain restaurant called Spaghetti Warehouse, which, I mean, kind of a gross name. Like, I think I was pretty blown away by open sesame being of uh like the origin being open sesame like it's like an italian man speaking i've seen like mixed thoughts on that one um but also like tag meaning touch and go like had no idea i also think that learning um uh let snafu is an acronym was really interesting i there, there was like so many things but anyways go to the highlight i didn't i read some of them on here that i repeated but a lot of them um I didn't, I already said, I just like, these just crack me up. And I love like crowdsourcing these topics. I think they're hysterical. And also when I say words like that, I'm saying that on purpose, like hilarious, hysterical, or like I, I've noticed I've been more of a rosing words a lot more lately and it makes people think I'm mispronouncing them. But like a lot of the um, mispronunciations people submitted were so Moira. It's like, instead of saying woman, I said, whoa, man, <laughs> or like pavilion, like pavilion like instead of pavilion and i'm like i i don't know it's just it, it's either the a mispronunciation or it could just be read as you know you're just so fancy you must pronounce every single syllable and italians do this i don't know why americans don't anyway what is this episode about arby's and like blind spots i i, I don't want to ever repeat myself from stuff on instagram stories but sometimes i like just want to recap it because it's such a joyful time on the internet and those times are sometimes quite few and far between but people also sent me, like, clips of Conan and Jon Stewart, like, going in on Arby's. They're like, yeah, if you want to realize how America feels about Arby's, like, watch how, like, famous people talk about it. And, like, Jon Stewart said, it's like shock and awe for your bowels. He called it the meal that's a dare for your colon. And the only food classified is a war crime. Uh, if a war crime means eating fresh, affordable, high-quality, delicious, artfully assembled, flavorful... Uh, affordable food did i already say affordable i hate when i'm going through a list and i'm trying to make a point and then i repeat myself and it negates the entire thing <laughs> i just don't get it like why are people acting like uh, like if i say after the party is the local arby's they're kind of like after the arby's it's the local potty and i just have never felt that way it's honestly good it's so, i'm so frustrated it's like my mind still hasn't changed and honestly i had postmated arby's like while that conversation was going down and i guess you know you're perception of of a brand it's so uh, it so hinges on some of the first touch points of awareness and i think this is an educational thing for all of us in terms of how we perceive and are introduced to brand values because people want their brand to like in, encapsulate a certain series of you know beliefs almost or like uh, have like this certain um cachet as it relates to price point and premiumness and i honestly always thought arby's branded itself quite premiumly but i am seeing it ranked below white castle i'm seeing it ranked below checkers for the love of god like i wouldn't i wouldn't even use the bathroom at a blimpy but like arby's i would have my you know wedding reception i'm just kidding i just maybe we kennedys just like have different 
thoughts of fast food and we didn't eat it a lot. So to me, fast food was such a novelty. And it's kind of like why I'm obsessed with having a TV in my bedroom. It's kind of like why I love to like eat in bed or like why I feel it's like it's so indulgent when I'm doing something like ordering an appetizer because or dessert because my parents were like entrees only people by entrees, not the entrees category. My God, what a ripoff. Get a sandwich or a wrap. So it's just it's crazy how the things we you know, once we're in touch with or things that were scarce for us are the things we want with abundance in adult life. And I guess that's a metaphor for many things behaviorally that we're withheld from. I just realized I'm coming at you from the beyond to close out the episode. <laughs> I I used to go to Arby's like a decent amount. And I actually feel like my parents in their heads thought it was like healthier than a McDonald's. So when I was, I had gone into the scarcity conversation of obsessing as th- about things as adults that you couldn't have as a child because I started to get into a convo about Wendy's. I ended up cutting out because like you guys just don't need to hear me wax poetic about all of like my favorite fast food chains. But, like I love Wendy's hardcore stan. And I did not eat a ton of chicken nuggets and French fries and burgers in my youth. And now I like anytime I feel the slightest bit off. If I'm in like light emotional distress, I reward myself by like postmating, postmating, uh, Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich, the cure all of hangovers and heartbreak. So anyway, so sometimes I'm like, if I, I, you know, there's continuity errors in TV. Like there's this scene in Fleabag where she's talking to that older woman who won the award that she gave the torso a statue to and the scene keeps cutting in and out of her having her hair in front of her face and behind her ear and it drives me insane every time i watch it and i can't believe it was an oversight much like the coffee cup in game of thrones any of you guys thanks for joining me this was a real real cornucopia of uh topics and i don't even know how to describe this or how to condense it as badly as i want to call this after the Arby's it's the local potty I'm worried that will deter some listeners because I myself don't like potty humor we'll have to think of something else maybe we'll get higgy with it we'll see um anyways by the time you've listened to this it's already titled so why am I telling you that but I'm gonna jet I was thinking about earlier we covered a lot of different themes one was I how I was wanted to kind of draw attention to what I felt was somewhat mean girl behavior on behalf of that Hallmark event And then I was thinking about the Mean Girls soundtrack, and I was like, oh, awesome. There's a song called that I'm obsessed with that's so famous in the hallway scene that I feel like is lesser known relative to Missy Elliott's other hits like Work It called Pass That Dutch. And then I realized I'm a moron and Dutch people are from the Netherlands. I was talking about Danish people. But that's not going to stop me because now that that song's in my head, I need it to be in your head because I think it's a great song when you're like trying to kind of have a moment where you feel good about yourself a get ready song a song that's like fun to walk to a song that's like fun to try to feel badass and approach a difficult situation with those are my favorite types of songs in addition to pop gospel and um i think past that dutch is just like a perennial favorite that makes me feel good and upon further research past that dutch is actually indeed a marijuana reference of some kind so it wouldn't even mean passing a dutch person anyways But if that's the field of thought we're going with in terms of passing a physical semi-consumable item, I would go as past that Danish because I'd sooner indulge and get a high off of an almond croissant or a uh, cheese Danish than smoking weed any day, probably. I freaking love a Danish. Anyways, I'm going off the rails, off the old love handles, as we talked about earlier. And I'm just so happy you're still here. And I thank you for listening. And I think FabFitFun and Away for being our sponsors. Don't forget to use our codes for FabFitFun, $10 off your first box with code be there in five. And for Away, visit awaytravel.com slash be there in five and use promo code be there in five for $20 off of a suitcase. 
And to hear more about my trip to New Orleans, you can go to patreon.com slash be there in five. Please leave five stars, rate and review. I would love you so much. If you want to join the Facebook group, be there in five's totally casual, breezy Facebook group. Um, you have to answer all the questions and agree to the rules. And there's some like criteria of the questions that I prefer just because I'm trying to keep a tight circle. And if you're a Patreon member, please, please, please indicate that in your responses. So um, somebody will let you in a little bit faster. Uh, I, of course, want to always make any paying members, any supporters a part of the community. My God. It's also why we say, like, if you've left a review, give us your, you know, iTunes username or whatever, because that is like extra effort that to me is just like, regardless of your responses, like you're a fan and I'm so, so grateful. And I just want to make sure those people are like first and foremost included because they've extended effort to support the show. And I want to extend the same effort that they kind of get in quickly and don't get lost in the shuffle because every two weeks or so we'll let in like several hundred people and just do it all at once. I'm really not trying to be exclusive. I'm just... It takes me a while to read the answers because I actually want legitimate podcast uh, listeners and to be a happy corner of the Internet. So I'm not trying to, like, be exclusive or anything. I just, you know, as an original member of the Whispering Aliens, if anybody remembers that spiraling out of control. It was this like it was a, one of the earliest Facebook groups I was ever a part of. And it was such a glorious place where we all talked about Bravo. But it, there was it was like overtaken. And then like Casey and Danielle, it was about Bish set, Bitch Sesh, the podcast, which I brought up twice now in this podcast because I, I love them. Um, they had to leave. And because the takeover was much stronger than like than anything they could do about it. And then they couldn't have their brand associated with it. And they had to leave. So I don't know. I just I, I always use that as a proxy for like, you know, don't grow too fast. Make sure people really want to be there, are there for the right reasons. And, you know, don't get overthrown at your own game. I get so nervous. Um, but anyway, guys, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for letting me keep you company. It's It's an honor and a privilege. And I will see you next week. And as always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. Make that money, just keep it going like the Energizer Bunny. Shift that, shake that, move it all around. Spank that, yank that Dutch back now. Free Kim, free cut, whatever your choice. Didn't come to judge, I came to get your voice. Scream, my voice is lost. Can I get a ride on a white horse? Ooh.